You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I hope you all are well. I have a real treat for you this week. I sat down with the one and only longtime professional triathlete, Didi Griesbauer, who this past November won the Ultraman World Championship on the Big Island of Hawaii by over 45 minutes, set a course record, and came in third overall at the age of 52. For those who are not familiar, Ultraman is as it sounds. It's a swim, bike, run on steroids. The competitors cover more than 500 kilometers or about 320 miles over three days, including a 10K or 6.2 mile swim, a 275K or 170-ish mile bike, and a freaking double marathon to wrap it all up in the end. And Didi did all of that in a cumulative time of 23 hours, 22 minutes, and 58 seconds. We talk all about how she trains and accomplishes all of that. And honestly, what I loved most about this conversation is just how brutally honest Didi is about what it takes. She, like me, hates when people say age is just a number because it really diminishes the work and dedication it takes to deliver that kind of high performance when you are in your 50s. She also talks about how, though it can be really freaking hard, elite levels of performance are possible, and we should not put an expiration date on our dreams. If she had retired when people said she quote-unquote should, she would never have gotten to call herself a world champion. Along with her latest achievement, Didi is a three-time Ironman champion, a two-time 70.3 champion, and a 12-hour time trial world champion. You can learn all about her and all of her amazing feeds at ddgreasebauer.com. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. All right, before we get to it, remember, I have a weekly blog. It's all free. comes out every week. I distill all the latest research and what it means for you. You can get that at feistymenopause.com. Follow us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. Come on and join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. And if you want a deeper dive and have one-on-one -on -one time with experts like you hear on this show, we have our Level Up membership that you can come on in and join. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com as well. Finally, a very quick thanks to Inside Tracker for their longtime support of this show and honestly, many things feisty. They have helped me get my blood sugar and my cholesterol and so many things in line, and I just really appreciate it. So thanks, Inside Tracker, for your longtime support. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. <music> All right, Didi, as I just mentioned to you, you are a very requested guest on this show. So I am very, very excited to talk to you. And I heard you on Fast Talk uh, a bit ago, and that was excellent. That was a really excellent episode. 
Oh, thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, they're more. Um, I'm very good friends with Emma Caitlin Berry, who works I love over her. there, and she she sort of prepped me. She's like, these are more cycling people, so the whole triathlon. She's like, it's going to be a little bit of a different thing for them, but I thought it was great. They we had a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. It was great. And uh, was it Betty? Was it what was the car's name? What was her name? Oh, Burgundy Betty. Yes. Burgundy <laughs> Betty. I was trying to remember the color of, of your support vehicle. <laughs> well, it's funny because I have like my, the car that I drive like at home. Um, it's a big blue um, Nissan Armada. And I just nicknamed her Big Blue Betty, <laughs> which is, I mean, it's just what I called my car. I just gave her a name when I bought her and, and I called her Big Blue Betty. And then I got a scooter recently. That's also, it's a different shade of blue, but it's also blue. And I called her Little Blue Biddy. So when my crew was out in Hawaii, we had this crazy, like, burgundy sprinter van that I was, it was like the first sprinter van ever made. Like, we were seriously concerned that it wasn't actually going to make it around the island, that we were going to have to push the vehicle up (laughs) the volcano, like, she had some personality and my crew nicknamed her Burgundy Betty. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I loved it so much. And pumping up the tires with a bike pump. Like, oh, I know. Can you believe it? I know the things they went through. It was it, like, I thought I had it rough out there. They had a tough time. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, you just won, set the course record and I believe came in third overall, correct? Yes. At that's correct. Your- that's so awesome. At your first Ultraman World Championship at the Big Island on Hawaii. And with a finishing time of 23 hours, 23 hours, 22 minutes and 58 seconds. So for those of us who are not unfamiliar with what an Ultraman is, can you can you talk about what it entails? And I also was wondering, you did one in Florida as a qualifier. Are what is what you're going to tell me standard fare for Ultraman? Is it always the same days and distances? Um ish (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that okay Um, so ultraman is a three-day 320 mile multi-sport event uh it is swimming biking and running as is typical with a triathlon uh the distances across the three days are day one is a 10k swim or 6.2 miles and then a 91 mile bike uh day two it's supposed to be a 171.4 mile bike. We had some hashtag bonus miles added to um, the Ultraman World Championship because there were some road closures in Hilo due to uh, surf advisories. Uh, they closed, I guess, the beach road when there's a surf advisory and there was crazy surf over in Hilo that day. So they had to reroute us uh, off of the traditional course which ended up making the bike mileage on day two, 174 miles. Um, so <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's it, as with Ultraman, Ultraman is a very, um, it's an organic event. Um, there's not a lot of fuss and fanfare and, and, and that's why I love it. And that's why I think people that are drawn to it, love it. Um, it's not, corporate uh it's very late there's a very laid back vibe so that's like eh, 171 174 you know neither here nor there close enough um is what the mileage is close enough um so yes that's day two then day three is a double marathon 52.4 miles so three days 320 
ish miles um, of swim, bike and run. Wow. Um, you're no stranger to triathlon like you or any of these individual sports, right? You you started as an elite swimmer. You've done many, many Ironman and 12 hour time trial events. As far as the volume of your training, how does that compare? Like how like what is the volume hour wise per week of training for something like an Ultraman? Uh, the the training, the hours, the total hours, to be honest, weren't terribly different than my regular training volumes as a professional triathlete specializing at the Ironman distance. Um, our, our training, it's funny, when I first quit my job, March 15th, 2005 was my last day of work on Wall Street. Um, I quit my job to start racing professionally. And when I quit, my employer very kindly um, offered me part-time work, which as an equity trader, I was like, who does that? Like, how's that going to work? It, it wasn't going to, long story short. But they did offer me part-time work. And I thought about it for a minute because I thought, what, like, what, there's only so much you can train. Like, how much am I, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? So sort of part-time work seemed like a really good idea at the time. And then I realized as soon as I quit my job and started training full-time, wow, you really can fill up a day. I mean, I, I think my training hours average, you know, around 30. So I'm, you know, right now we're early season. So we're probably in the mid twenties on average, we're probably high twenties. And when I'm in heavy training, you know, specific for race prep, we're just over 30, 32, 33 ish hours. My Ultraman training wasn't dreadfully different than that in terms of the hours of the week. Uh, but but the breakdown of the training was much, much different. So my easier days were much, much easier, but my harder days were much, much longer. So for Ironman training, my typical long ride will be, you know, we'll do a lot of five and six hour rides, you know, a couple times a week. For Ultraman, that long ride was eight hours. Uh, but that meant that my other rides during the week were somewhat a little bit shorter. Um, so every weekend, it, you know, it, the build up towards Ultraman, we got more and more specific so that the weekend really did mimic the setup for Ultraman. So I was doing sort of a moderately long ride on a Friday, a super long ride on a Saturday, and then a long run on, on the Sunday to try to replicate what we would see in the race. And I just think that's a smart way to do any of your training. I mean, anytime I'm preparing for an Ironman, I'll try to uh, replicate the conditions on the day. If it's a very flat course, I'll stick to the flatter road. So I'm time trialing more. If it's hilly, I'll try to incorporate some climbs in the same places that we'd see them in the race. So when if you see the topography of the race and you know there's a big climb at the end, in your training rides, do a big climb at the end of your of your ride. So really, that's that's what we did. But total hours wise, we weren't that much over what I I mean, a little bit over, but not that much over what I would do typically for for Ironman prep. And it sounds like your swim build was similar to the bike build, like that it was. Although the the yardage kind of did blow my mind, like how much how much yardage you, I guess you have to for that kind of swim, but. Um, you were swimming most days a week? Yeah, I swim. Yeah. In the usual training for me is five to six days a week of, of swimming. Um, we swim pretty hard as a squad. My coach, Julie Dibbins, 
It's funny, we finished a swim this morning. Our, our main set was five by 800, which was, uh, it was a mouthful this early in the season. <laughs> and uh, one of my training partners got, got out of the pool. He's new to training with our squad. And he looked at me, he's like, Julie is just brutal. And I was like, welcome to the JD crew. Uh, we swim hard. We swim a lot and we swim hard. So our typical swims are five to six K for all of our squad sessions, um, which there's three of those a week. And then we'll usually do probably two sessions um, on our own that are more like four to five K. And then sometimes on the Sunday after a long run, it's just an easy one to two K float just to, to loosen up after a long run. But yeah, five to six days a week already that I, that I swim. And for Ultraman, we just, again, once a week, I would typically swim in the wetsuit because Ultraman um, is a wetsuit legal swim. So I, I swam the 10K in a wetsuit. In the pool. Uh, yeah. So I would do my training in the pool in a wetsuit, um, which is dreadfully uncomfortable because it's, it gets quite warm. I was uh, just but thinking. Again, it's good heat tolerance, right? It's tolerance training because, uh, the, you know, swimming in the Pacific Ocean in a wetsuit, in, you know, in Hawaii, you're going to get quite warm as well. So it, it was good practice for that. I spent quite a bit of time going back and forth between my full wetsuit and my sleeveless wetsuit. Thankfully, um, my wetsuit partner, DeBoer, um, makes a sleeveless wetsuit. Uh, there was a time I was like, I don't think that, I actually reached out to them. I was like, what would happen to the wetsuit if I just cut the sleeves off of it? <laughs> <laughs> And they emailed me back. They're like, we make a sleeveless one if you want to send it to you. So not a lot of people use the sleeveless because the shoulders in the DeBoer wetsuit are so, you know, compliant anyway. So not a lot of people are interested in their sleeveless model. But for me, it was more about core temperature control. So I did a lot of my train, my swim training for Ultraman going back and forth between the full wetsuit and the sleeveless wetsuit so I could compare Obviously, you lose a little bit of buoyancy with the sleeveless wetsuit, um, but your arms are out of the water 50% of the time anyway. So I was like, how much buoyancy am I really losing in return for a lot lower core body temperature? And for me, I found the sleeveless wetsuit was definitely the way to go. And I was very, very pleased with that choice. Um, but yeah, so my long swim each week, I would just get in anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes early. And then that built up to where I was getting in, you know, an hour early. So I'd be doing a, a, a nearly, you know, two and a half to three hour swim, which is what I thought I would be at Ultraman. Yeah. So we built up to um, doing a 10 K swim in the pool. And then did I understand correctly that your longest run, if we move to the run was really just about three hours, even for this double marathon, because I, I definitely would love to hear more about that because in our audience, we have people who struggle with that element of it. You know, the run is definitely the hardest on the body. And how do we, you know, manage that kind of volume without beating yourself up? Yeah. So the run is obviously where you, put yourself at risk. It's the greatest injury potential, right? Uh, because of the impact. So for me, it, it, the risk, we looked at the training in terms of risk reward, right? What is the risk of doing a five hour run? Mm, it's pretty high, right? So I knew I wasn't going to get up to the mileage. You know, I was, I was never going to run 50 miles in training, like Ironman training, I will do marathon run days. They'll usually be split. I'll do a 20 mile run in the morning and maybe a, a 10K run in the in the evening. And, and I will get that mileage in. But for Ultraman, I knew I wasn't going to have a 52 mile run day. 
Um, we just didn't see the benefit to running longer than three hours, but we supplemented it. So I did quite a bit of, I would do a three hour run outside and then come in and run on the lever, which I don't know if you're familiar with the lever. It's, um, it's like an alter G, but it's affordable (laughs) and you can put it on your own treadmill. It fits to any treadmill and it's a, it's basically a contraption that sits on top of the treadmill and then you wear a special pair of shorts and there's a bungee that fits through wow. the the system. And so it enables you to then you tug on the bungee and you're able to offload body weight. Um, so I could supplement, I could go run three hours out on the ground and then come in and run 30 to 45 minutes on the lever at reduced body weight um, to mitigate the, the pounding. So I could increase my mileage, but decrease my body weight so that the impact wasn't as hard. I also supplemented, I did a lot of eccentric running. So I would run a lot of downhill running because that sort of muscle contraction really, um, beats up the legs. And, you know, fortunately I live here in Boulder, Colorado. So I also supplemented with a lot of hiking. I would do a long run and go straight into a hike, for instance, so that I'm continuing to fuel, but I'm not getting the same pounding necessarily that you would with a run. And I just had to believe in it. I had done uh, in the beginning of 2021, I did my first 50K trail race definitely out of my comfort zone. I do not like, I, if there's like a grain of sand on the road, I will like avoid it. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm not going off road. <laughs> I, I don't do well on uneven pavement of any kind. I don't ride a gravel bike. I don't do any of those things. I am a, I'm a level pavement kind of girl. Um, but I did a 50 K trail race and and even for the 50K, I think my longest run was, you know, three hours. So I, I was, and that went quite well. So I knew, I didn't feel mentally or emotionally that I needed to run, do a 40 mile training run to ensure that I could run 52 miles. Um, we just, I did the work in the gym and we sort of cheated the miles doing other things to make, to create the durability. Yeah, and I'm and I'm curious about that strength work because you you did allude to that um, on Fast Talk. You know, you talked about how you take your gym game, quote unquote, very seriously, and you're we are a huge advocate for gym work here as well. I would love to hear how your approach to gym work has changed, like maybe since you were forty to now, and you know what it looks like now. Yeah. my When I first started doing gym work, it was definitely sort of an afterthought to my training. And it was usually in the wintertime. I'm like, oh yeah, we're supposed to do gym work in the off season. So we would like kind of make it up ourselves and, and I would do it sort of twice a week, but there was never any rhyme or reason to it. There was never any progression with it. And while I was still living in Boston, a friend of mine introduced me to this young kid who was He's like, he's super enthusiastic. He's a really great strength coach. Um, you should meet with him. And, and I really liked him. It was a guy named by the name of Eric Crezzi, who now is like the strength and conditioning guru for pretty much all of Major League Baseball. Um, wow. Huge. He's, he's like, he is, he is, he's incredible. He's been incredibly successful. And I think I was like his second coached client. It was, he was, yeah, he was a 24-year-old kid at the time. And um I just, I really liked him and I really liked the strength work. So it was so different than what I was doing, swim, bike and run. I had always done gym work back in college when I was swimming, 
we never took it that seriously back then either because we were so exhausted by the time we even got to the gym that we just sort of went through the motions and checked the box. But I really liked how it made me feel. Eric's um, specialty was not endurance sports. He thought I was a bit of a nut job. So um, it was it was good. It was good foundational strength training, but I can't say it was specific to endurance sport. And so when I moved to Boulder, I started working with a strength coach who was a lot more in tune with endurance sports. She actually left the um, strength coaching world to become an ICU nurse and has moved away from Boulder. But my strength coach now, woman by the name of Kate Ligler, has worked with, she's a professional cyclist herself and um, has worked with a number of professional triathletes and she's just wonderful. I don't, I don't question anything. I just go to the gym ready to work and she, um, she gets me, you know, what I need to get done. She just, she writes the program and, and it's progressive in nature and it cycles through different exercises. When we were preparing for Ultraman, again, we did a lot of eccentric loading um, to mimic some of the work that I was doing outside of the gym. And I started that race at Ultraman, the strongest version of myself I've I've ever been in my entire life. And that's at 52 years old, that's saying something. So I'm in the gym with Kate three times a week and for an hour. And then the other days, and this is where I've also, as I've gotten older, I've evolved a little bit. The days I'm not in the gym, I spend anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes doing mobility, sort of what I call prehab work. I work with a physical therapist on a proactive basis. So I don't go to the physical therapist when I'm injured. I go to the physical therapist consistently throughout the the, the year. And we do a sort of a movement screen check-in, what's moving well, what's not moving well. He sends me home with just a handful of exercises to add to my pre-workout routine. You know, I'll spend probably 10 minutes anyway doing some, you know, pre-session mobility before bikes and, and run sessions. I don't I don't do it so much before the swim, but and then he'll just add two or three exercises to that. And then in the in the evening, and I know this might be controversial because I, I think there's mixed messages about static stretching, but it makes me feel tremendous. And so I will spend probably, again, not a lot of time, 15 to 20 minutes, just doing some basic static stretching before I go to bed. And so those are the things, sort of the extra things outside of the gym work that I've definitely upped my game and then my my strength training work has gotten more specific to multi-sport as I've grown as an athlete through my professional years as a triathlete. Yeah. So what if can you share some of the like what some of that looks like? Are you doing are you are you doing heavy lifting? Are you doing like deadlifts and squats? Or you know, what what kind of exercises yeah, are you uh, doing? Deadlifts, uh trap bar deadlifts, front squats, back squats, um, a lot of single leg work, some stability work, some plyometric work. Um, you know, pull-ups, pull-ups. Why always pull-ups? I hate pull-ups. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Always pull-ups, you know, and and everything has a sort of a counter. So if we're pressing one day, we're also pulling. Um, And and again, I like, I don't want to sound like I'm not in tune with what I'm doing in the gym, but because I trust Kate so undeniably, I really don't even think about what I, what I do day in and day out. I just go in ready to work and and we, I get in there, warm up and and we go to work. That's cool. That's cool. And the, um, the, the, the PT, the prehab work that you're doing, is that facilitated with things? Are you using bands and rollers and that kind of thing? Or is it all body work? 
Um, it's it's facilitated. Yeah, there's some band stuff, um, some rolling stuff, some just static mobility stuff. Um, sometimes the mobility with the band can help enhance what you can do just with your body. Um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit of everything depending on what we're we're working on. I mean, I use the peanut a lot for th- thoracic mobility and and working on the spine and keeping that healthy. Um, and then the mobile board, I use the mobile board a little bit um, for foot um, stability, strength. Um, yeah. So all the, the tools I have, I have quite the toolbox of PT toys. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But, it, but it, it's got to help. I mean, I, I read somewhere that, you know, it was a 2016 that you had a string of injuries that sort of brought this to the relief that you needed to be doing more of this work. Is that correct? Yeah. I went into 2016. I had just started working with my coach, Julie Dibbins and, I got just this bizarre string of injuries, one after another, after another, seemingly all really unrelated. Um, And it it was an extremely frustrating year because we couldn't seem to get to the bottom of it. And I started working with a doctor here in Boulder um, who did a lot of really expensive tests. Um, but we, we really did get to the crux of it and it was a, it was a fueling issue. Um, yeah, I was raised as a swimmer in the eighties and nineties, and we were reminded through, you know, three times a week weigh-ins in front of a coach and our entire squad that lighter was always better. And it just sort of reinforced this pattern of under fueling, um, and even when I sort of got away from that, and I don't, I don't weigh myself now, um, but I think that the habits were sort of set up that, oh, I don't need to eat anything because I can get away with not eating something. So, but what I've learned and what I've had to sort of overcome is that just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. Um, and that for me, more fueling is is a way better strategy um, because fuel is absolutely the pathway to performance. Um, so it, it was a combination of that. And it forced those injuries through 2016 really forced me to also look at how I move um, to make sure that I am moving as efficiently as I can, right? Let, let's not waste energy by being inefficient. Um, and so it also prompted this sort of uh, inspection as to, um, you know, just keeping up on a regular movement screen and making sure that my body is moving the way that it's meant to move. Yeah. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. I, I had not known that there was a low energy availability component to, to that. And we see it all the time uh, in in this audience. I mean, we all sort of came up with that idea, right? That lighter is better, lighter is better, weigh-ins, all that stuff. It's, it's so ingrained. And as as women sort of get older, I th- I think there is this tendency, you know, body composition can shift, all this stuff happens, and there can be this drive to sort of eat less and and fuel less. So I'm 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 glad you shared that. Yeah, no, it's I mean I I don't think there was any malicious intent. I, I think we we as a population have gotten smarter about all of these things. Um, I think if you look at the general population, and and I'm talking. This was swimming, right? Um, and if you look at swimmers, 
back in the 80s and 90s, they look very different than the swimmers of today. They train very, very differently. We were very high mileage trained. We were swimming, you know, 100,000 meter weeks in training as swimmers. And again, I think just training science evolves and you get smarter and there's so much more focus on power and strength now as the proponent propulsion you know, to make swimmers go faster as opposed to this incredible efficiency that is developed over 100,000 K, you know, swim weeks, right? So we would develop this stroke efficiency um, and this fitness over, you know, this overtraining our distance so tremendously. And I, I think they've just gotten smarter about what makes people faster. Um, so I like, there's not mal intent to it. I just think that it, we've we've gotten smarter as a population as to what the best way to be the best athlete you can be what that is what that equation comes out to good sleep the one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep we talk about it all the time here on the show which is why i'm stoked to have lagoon sleep as a new sponsor because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which, instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down. Good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. 
You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. So related to that, what does your recovery entail? I, you know, I heard you and I, I, I want people to hear this because I think it's important, you know, the, the narrative like, wow, she's, she's, she's broken these records and she's doing all these things. And it's like a lot goes into this, right? Like you go to bed at like seven and you're getting sometimes 10 hours of sleep or more. Um, yeah. I mean, t- talk about your recovery practice. Yeah. So again, it goes hand in hand with, with the things that I've learned that as an older athlete, I have to focus on. I think when I was younger, I could get away with less sleep. I could get away with, you know, crappier nutrition. I could get away with, um, not doing the sort of the prehab. Like I would literally wake up at, you know, when I was an age group athlete, before I started racing professionally, you know, would wake up before work And between the time my alarm went off and my first steps of my run was about four minutes of time, like literally roll out of bed, put the run clothes on out the door, like the sun's not even up yet. You know, just, I just, I wouldn't pay attention to those sorts of things and I could get away with it. I'd finish the run and literally shower, go to work and sit at an office desk all day, not taking care of the body in the way that I feel like I have to now. So as I've gotten older, all of these things have started to play a bigger and bigger role, but now I really enjoy the, like I enjoy paying that amount of attention, like focusing on those details because it's lending, it's leading to the performances that I want to be having. Uh, and it's kept me, it's keeping me in the sport, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm still able to compete because I'm willing to do all of these things, put a heightened focus on my nutrition, put a heightened focus on my strength training, my mobility, my body care, put a heightened focus on my recovery. So my recovery, I mean, again, I think like a lot of the, the stretching and the mobility is, is part of that. Um, I take Epsom salt baths when I can, I take ice, ice baths sometimes when those, that seems to feel good. Uh, I use the, the Norma tech boots often we'll go to sleep in the Norma tech boots. And thankfully my husband doesn't like to go to bed at seven. So <laughs> I fall asleep in the boots and he comes and takes me out of them before he goes to bed. Um, it, it sort of works out all of those things. Um, yeah, they add up the sleep, the nutrition, all of it. Uh, luckily I, I love to sleep. It just makes me feel better. I've never been one that can get by on, you know, three, four hours of sleep. I never literally in college, never pulled an all nighter. I couldn't, I I just couldn't. Um, and so that sleep is really important. I don't have time when I was in college as a swimmer, I would nap during the day. I don't have time to nap now. My days are way too full. Um, but as a result, I still get the same amount of sleep just by, by going to bed early and, people make fun of me. Like my friends want to go out to dinner. I'm like, if we're not going at five 30, I'm not going because <laughs> I need to go to bed. And, and I tell the athletes that I coach, you know, I'm highly responsive to your text messages and your emails. Just don't expect a response after about six 30. Cause I'm winding down and getting ready to go to bed. So yeah, I, I don't mind that sacrifice. There are some sacrifices I wish I didn't have to make. Um, but sleep's definitely not one of them. I love to sleep. <laughs> And that sleep comes easy. Like you, 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 you wind down and like, it's a, yeah, that's awesome. 
I, I, I still luckily, and I know as, as we get older that sleep can sometimes be harder to come by, less consistent. I think I worked my body so hard that by the end of the day, I'm bloody exhausted. So yeah, I do sleep well. There's some nights I get up in the middle of the night, but usually if I do, I, I am able to go right back to sleep. I will occasionally, if I'm having a hard time sleeping or if I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm having a hard time going back to sleep, I will take melatonin. Um, but yeah, for the most part, my body just craves, it craves the sleep because that's where all that great recovery is. Repair is, is it needs yeah. a lot of repair. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a lot. Yeah. So, so we, we, we glanced over nutrition a little bit here, but I'd like to talk obviously more about it. Um, how has your daily nutrition evolved over the years? Yeah, it's the the frequency of fueling has increased. The variety of foods I am willing to eat has increased. I I was a product of I went to boarding school in high school. Very great school. Loved it. What a privilege. What what a great opportunity. I went off kicking and screaming as if they were shipping me off to boarding school. Um, and it really took until I was about 35 before I was willing to admit to my parents that I loved boarding school. I loved it. I didn't love the food. The food was, um, I don't want to say what you would expect because now, like I just saw my, um, my nieces over Christmas and my oldest niece is a, a freshman in college and her college dorm, she gets fed crab legs. I was like, what? It's crazy. And, my and nephews are yeah, my daughter in college. It's nuts what they get. I was like, now. the food that they eat in college is unbelievable. And I have a, I, this is also a little bit unusual. I have a beef sponsor, which people that had knew me 15 years ago, because I wouldn't even eat meat 15 years ago. And now that I have a beef sponsor, they're like, what? So I work with a company called Certified Piedmontese. And it is honest to God, the first beef I've been able to tolerate. I always, I never liked meat. So boarding school swore me off of meat. I, I just never even went through the cafeteria line because the hot food just looked so sad. And I'm not a big fan of food in bulk anyway. Like I just don't like food in bulk. I'm not a big buffet person. Um, so I would, I would migrate to the safety of the cereal bins and the salad bar. Right. And, and so that was what I ate. And that went through all of high school, all of college. And I just wasn't fueling myself. And I was, I'm also a picky eater. Like even as a kid, I would only eat chicken and my parents would try to feed me steak. And I'm like, this, this tastes, this doesn't, this doesn't taste like chicken. They're like, no, it's, it's chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and so I literally like, I just shut the door on all of these foods that for taste reasons, I just didn't like. And then I started getting injured and injury after injury after injury and performance started to suffer. And I've worked, like, I have to say, I've worked with a ton of nutritionists throughout my careers, both as a swimmer and as a professional triathlete. And I would take little tidbits from each one of them. Um, but I really, it was about, well, it was right after Ultraman Florida because my Ultraman race fueling needed an overhaul. Um, yeah, I was set the world record at Ultraman Florida, which was really in retrospect, quite lucky given how poor my fueling strategy was for that. Um, so I started working with a nutritionist and he really helped me, um, in that I think my struggle with some of the other nutritionists was that they were trying to sort of reinvent the way that I ate. 
And my nutritionist now, Andrew Dole, he's like, just making simple substitutions for things um, has really changed the way that I'm fueling myself for the better. Um, and, And I've really changed my mindset about fueling in that I now, I look at it like I look at my training. I don't love track sessions. In fact, I, I quite despise them, but I know they're good for me. I know I have to do them to get to the goal that I want. So I suck it up. I go to the track. I adopt the best attitude that I can. And even though I'm intimidated and people are running circles around me and I feel like a fool, I go out there and I do it. It's the same thing when I sit down to dinner. My husband is a foodie. He loves to cook. Well, cook me anything in the world. And I was always like, yeah, let's just have a bowl of cereal. And he's like, oh my God, who is this woman I married? <laughs> um, but now I've I've just decided that um, it's more important for me to perform well than to ha- have these hangups about, well, I don't like it when you cook the meat this way, or I don't like the chicken when you do this to it. Like get over it, eat it because it's going to make you perform better. And I'm seeing the results. So it's sort of a positive reinforcement by increasing the variety, like reintroducing chicken reintroduce like the, just eating more varieties of foods we started going with the um the meal kits like the 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 meals like the hello fresh and the sun basket etc cetera, etc cetera. and um i found i choose the meal so if i don't like it it's my own choosing so i choose what we eat and then this sort of this ancillary benefit is that he comes home from work And we spend 20 to 30 minutes like chopping and prepping. And it's like this little mini date night, like catching up at the end of the day. So it's been great for our relationship. It's been really good for my nutrition because now I'm eating more variety of foods, partnering with certified Piedmontese. I'm getting a lot more beef in my diet that I can tolerate because it's leaner. It's higher in iron, lower in fat. So eating it really, it doesn't taste like chicken, but it settles in my stomach like chicken in that it's not like beef used to sit so heavy in my stomach, but this is such a high quality beef um, that I'm able to tolerate it a lot better. So increasing the variety of foods that I'm eating in my day-to-day nutrition, fueling throughout the day, It requires a little bit more planning. And that's where Andrew was great because I had some nutritionists that were like, oh, here's this great meal you can cook for lunch. I was like, you don't seem to understand. I'm wedging lunch into a 20 minute window between four workouts in the middle of the day. I'm not going to cook lunch. But Andrew, instead of saying like, oh, just eat this, you know, bar for lunch was like, try these, you know, whatever. And and finding the foods that I can tolerate while training in the middle of a, a big, you know, training cycle in the middle of the day, but is real food and is real sustenance and isn't requiring that I cook a meal and just making really small changes has yielded really, really big results. Well, that's great. And, and are you also carrying that real food into your sports nutrition itself? For Ultraman, I absolutely did. That was one of the biggest mistakes I made at Ultraman Florida was that I thought I could just replicate my Ironman training plan three days in a row. Mm. And at the time I did Ultraman Florida, I was using a product that worked well for me at Ironman, but it was all liquid nutrition. It was like a sugary sport drink and it worked well for a single day event. It, it did. I, I, I had great results with it in a single day event. 
across three days, starting probably 10K into the bike on day two at Ultraman Florida, I literally went to take my first sip and threw it right back up. That is the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. So my stomach was just rejecting the sugar. And so my crew, thankfully, one of the members of my crew was an Ultraman athlete himself, a guy named Jordan Bryden, one of my training partners. And he had won Ultraman Canada and Ultraman Worlds in 2019. Um, he literally pulled into like, they pulled into a convenience store and he's like this, 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 and this. And it was literally this hodgepodge of what can we get her to eat that she's not going to throw up? That's going to get her, you know, the carbohydrates, the sodium, the, whatever it is. And I was lucky. Like I was really lucky at, at Ultraman Florida to get away with what I got away with. Cause I didn't have much of a, a nutrition plan at all. So I started working with Andrew Dole, my nutritionist now, and we not only reset sort of my daily nutrition and got me better fueled during the day um, from real food, but we also revamped my Ironman fueling, which is now very, very different. And with Ultraman, figured out ways to incorporate real food and a pattern of eating across essentially what is eight hours a day across three days. Um, it's a lot of calories you have to get in. And so we sort of created this ebb and flow where some cal- some hours were heavier in calories and some hours were lighter in calories so that we could sort of ebb and flow and your stomach could, you know, respond and you're not jamming thousands and thousands of calories every single hour down. And it was like, I had one person on my crew, um, Kate Ligler actually was responsible for nutrition. She tracked everything I put in. So when I went through a fueling stop and tossed bottles, whoever I tossed the bottle to would literally measure what was left in the bottle. So she was keeping track of absolutely everything I put in. And the most unbelievable thing, even to me, I was asking for more, both on day two and day three, I was like, I need more, like I was feeling like I can take more, like I want more. And I was asking for for more fuel, which in my life I have never done. Like I've I've gotten off the bike in an Ironman and left probably 50% of my calories on the bike still. Um, and through Ultraman, um, and I've I've trained my way up to it, but Andrew got me from taking probably maybe 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour to across Ultraman three days, getting a minimum, I think my lightest hour of Ultraman, I got 75 grams. I was getting between 75 and 100 grams every single hour. Um, and incorporating real foods. Um, some of the foods I ate, I mean, again, it's so, it's so individual, right? I mean, what works for one person is not going to work for another. Um, but I used a lot of, um, organic baby food and, um, King's Hawaiian rolls. They squished down to nothing. Like, so I could grab it from a crew member and squish it and it would be in my hand and not be like too bulky and then I could sort of take a bite of it. And when you add water, it literally melts in your mouth and disappears into nothing. So yeah. Day three, I was very much Ironman nutrition based. No real food on day three for running. But on the bike, I could tolerate quite a bit of real food. Well, wow, that's really great. Like that's such an and pushing that level of carb. I mean, that's that's what you're seeing, like the world, the world tour pro cyclists doing now. They're all just like going so high, you know, 90 grams an hour, that kind of thing on the bike. It makes a huge difference if you can tolerate it. 
Well, and it's, I think you, I think, and here's the thing. I used to be of the mindset. That's just too much for me. I'm not a big eater anyway. I can't tolerate that much. Like I honestly believe if I can tolerate any, it, anybody can tolerate it. It's, it's practicing it and it's finding the, the sources that you can tolerate it. So not everyone's going to be able to take 90 grams an hour of baby food or 90 grams an hour of whatever your gel of choice, but it's finding the right product that works for you that will enable you to get to 90 grams and and what form that comes in. Is it liquid? Is it gel? Is it solid? Is it whatever? And finding that mix. But I, I can tell you right now, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You've just got to train your gut and find the mix of products that's going to enable you to get there. And, and the results will absolutely happen. That is that is very encouraging news. I'm curious if you find that uh, the temperature changes that situation for you. Like, I don't, was it very hot there? And does that sort of make that harder? Uh, I think it makes it different. Uh, it definitely okay. changes whether you're going to probably want more solids or liquids. Um, having a crew was invaluable because every bottle I got was ice cold right? Mm. Everything I got was ice cold. And yes, it's hot. It's Hawaii. Um, most of it, like halfway through day one, you're up high. So the temperature is actually not as bad as it is down where Ironman is run on the Queen K. But day three, we run from Javi back to, to Kona on the Ironman course. So it's hot. Yeah, Like you're on that highway in the middle of a lava field exposed um, but every single bottle was cold, ice cold. And that makes a big, big difference. Um, I find in colder climates and races, it's, it's difficult to get that many calories in drinking because you're just not thirsty because it's so cold. And that's where I find solids to be a little bit more tolerable. Uh, there's a little bit more density to some of those calories. If you're taking it in solids, you don't have to take quite as much volume to get in the calories. And so when it's cold, I think the solid form calories come down a little bit easier. When it's hot, I tend to lean more on the liquids, especially if they're cold. It, it becomes much a much, much easier uh, exercise. Do you, do you find that your thermal regulation is challenging at all as far as like staying cool when it is like when you are in those hot temperatures or do you have that down to a science too? I like, I haven't, I haven't struggled with that. That hasn't been a struggle for me. I know women, when they get to a certain age, certainly, um, you know, going through hormonal changes as you get older, it becomes more difficult uh, to manage that. And you'll be like boiling hot and 10 minutes later, you'll be freezing cold. So I've had some ultra runners talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So having, having wardrobe options, um, even in training sessions, come go dress as you think you're going to be, but have options so that you can change. Um, as I've like, I find the only issue I struggle with is that I've become less tolerant of the cold. Um, I get colder easier than I used to, but I also think that's because I'm not living in New England anymore and I've gotten a little bit softer about my willingness to go outside in the cold. So I just don't have as much tolerance for it, honestly. Um, but like for me, whether it's luck or whether it's whatever it is, I haven't had that experience yet. Um, but 
friends of mine, again, they just come prepared with multiple options for whatever's going to show up on the day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is something that, that Magda Boulay talked about when she runs. Cause she's like, she, she does have a lot of like hot flash kind of things. And she's like, when you're running Platteville, you know, like when you're burning up. So she just has like light layers that she just unzip, zip, strips, you know, and just, just takes care of it. Well, honestly, it's one thing that I learned across Ultraman and it, it doesn't have to do necessarily with, you know, thermoregulation or anything, but just be prepared for options, right? That's what I learned at Ultraman. You have your plan and you think this is how it's going to go, but you have to be flexible and adapt and have options if it doesn't go according to plan. That's just being flexible. Yeah. <laughs> as a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice-cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. So you had mentioned off offline, like as, as you know, this is a, a podcast for women who many of whom are dealing with menopausal symptoms. And you had mentioned that you don't really have them and people might get annoyed with you over that. Nobody here is annoyed. <laughs> but I am curious, like, where are you in your hormonal journey? I mean, do you know, are you in the transition? Are you post-menopause? Is like, do you, where, where are you sitting now? Yeah, like it's obviously people come to a community looking for support and looking for camaraderie <laughs> with what they're dealing with. And so when I'm like, yeah, I find when people ask me about menopause and I'm like, I haven't noticed a thing. 
it's not that they get angry, but they're like, well, you don't know my pain. <laughs> and, like, I'm sorry, I don't know the pain. Like, I don't know. Obviously, statistically speaking, I'm 52 years old. I am somewhere in the spectrum of, of right. menopause. But to date, I wouldn't know it. And I don't know if it's a genetic thing. I, like, I don't know. I know it hits some women way harder than others. For me, so far, I, I honest to God, haven't noticed a thing still have a regular cycle i I just hasn't it hasn't been my struggle yet that doesn't mean that starting tomorrow it won't be but at the moment i i have not noticed anything different at all um but i mean it's coming (laughs) (laughs) it comes to us all so all i can say is for those people that are like you don't know my pain well you can laugh because you'll be through it and I'll be suffering at some point. So I'm sure. Yeah. I, but to this point, it just hasn't been an issue for me. Yeah. No, that's that's 100% fair. I just wanted to, to make that clear to, to the people who are listening. You did say something on Fast Talk that I love, love, loved. You said age is not just a number and that's that it's a real, real thing. And I get bananas when people say that. I'm like, it is it is not just a number. Um I, I would love you to talk a bit about that because you you are continuing to be like setting personal bests and making these gains. You know, where are those gains coming from at this point? Yeah, like like you said, my number one pet peeve. People like it'll be the headline, oh, D degrees power proving that age is is just a number. I was like, no, 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 no. Age is really, really real. And if I were doing the things that I was doing when I was 35 and continue to do them today, I would not be finding the success that I'm finding now at 52. Um, And and I will say that the success I'm finding at 52 is different than the success I had at 55. I'm redefining what success is for me. Um, You know, I've been top 10 at the Ironman World Championship three times. That ship has sailed. And I realized I'm never going to win the Ironman World Championship. And, And fortunately, when I came into the sport as a pro, I never thought I was going to. My goal was always just to see how good I can be. And so luckily for me at 52, that is still my goal. How good can I be? Can I still compete against women who are literally half my age? And can I be successful at doing that? And I'm finding ways to do it, but I'm doing it by correcting all of the things that I did wrong when I was 35, right? So paying attention to nutrition, paying attention to sleep, being militant about those details, because those little details, yeah, we give them lip service when we're our 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah, like you think about the pyramid and all of your training and the work is down here. And then you get to the tippy tippy top and it's the little things like nutrition and mobility and blah, 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 blah. Now that is flipped on its head. I've done the training my engine is robust and developed. And so the training that I do continues to maintain that. But where I'm getting the most bang for the buck is in all of those little details in the nutrition and the sleep and the mobility and the gym and focusing on those little details to find every single ounce of performance I am, I can, uh, and trying to get smarter about the way that I train um, instead of just doing more, like I still do a lot and people assume, oh, you get older, you take more recovery days, you, you're, you know, you, you trim back on things. No, like I am full bore training absolutely as hard as I ever have, but having to 
support that with all of the little details from the little tippy top of the pyramid. That's a great, great way to put it. Um, and and as you've alluded to, you've built you've built quite the support network around you. I mean, you've mentioned a coach, you've mentioned a strength coach, a nutritionist, a physical therapist. Uh, I have read that you also have a sports psychologist and a massage therapist, husband, of course. Um, how has this team? Two, two Labradors. Labradors. I get to too. <laughs> they Emotional are support, support animals. Yes. They are very <laughs> I have had labs all my life. Um, I'm curious, has, has this built, has this team also built over time? Like, did you just sort of add people as you discovered like, oh, this is a piece that I need to fill in here as you're going through your, your journey as a pro athlete? A, a little bit. Um, I, I've, I've always had sort of a massage therapist. I've always had, well, for probably 15 years had a strength coach. Um, I think as I've evolved as an athlete, the demands I put on those people are, are a little bit different. And as a result, those people have changed. Um, like I said, Eric Cressy, one of the most brilliant strength coaches in, in all of, of sports, just not my sport. Right. So I still talk to Eric and I still am a big, like just so proud of all of his success. And I think he still gets a kick out of the fact that I'm still kicking at 52. Like I, you know, we have that mutual respect, but my demand for strength training got a lot more specific as I've gotten older. So I found someone to fill that role. Um, so my team, honestly, I think in some ways has gotten, it's gotten a bit smaller and it's mm. gotten a lot more specific in that everyone fills a very, very specific role. And my standard for excellence is has increased as well. So my standard for what is required to be a part of that team it's is also higher. Um, and I have a great, great team from, you know, Julie to my strength coach, again, nutritionist, you mentioned it, sports psychologist, uh, massage therapist, all of it, um, down the road. And again, my support at home. I mean, we mentioned my husband, this, this was not his journey. So when we met, I was an underworked overpaid wall street trader, right. Making huge bank. And on a dime, I just flipped it and said, by the way, I'm going to quit my job and become a professional triathlete. And now I'm an overworked, underpaid professional triathlete. And he didn't necessarily sign on for that, but he has stuck with me every single step of the way. 20 years. <laughs> yeah, 20, 22 years. We'll be married 23 years in May. So it, it, it um, he would argue that we're happier and, and both healthier for the, the journey that we've made through triathlon. I think if I were still on wall street, I mean, I got ulcers, like I trading stocks. It gave me ulcers. I was not healthy. I was not, I mean, I loved my job, but I wasn't healthy. Um, so I think we're healthier for it. We're happier for it. Possibly not as wealthy for it. <laughs> Wealth is relative, yeah. but that support at home. And he is, he's my teller of truth. Like he is the first one to say, you know, go to bed right? It's time for you to go to bed. Like, we'll be watching a show. And he's like, go to bed. I'm like, it's not over yet. He's like, go to bed. Like he is, he is absolutely as demanding, but also supportive on the bad days. He's like, it's a bad day. You've had him before. We've been through this. Like, again, that support at home, I, I cannot, you know, express how important that has been as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, for what you're doing, like I, 
it's non-negotiable to have that kind of support at home. Yeah. So I'm finally going to ask you like the most annoying question that every athlete gets. I always hated it. Um, what's next? Everyone always asks, like you do this amazing thing. And that's like the first thing out of their mouth. But I, you know, you have mentioned that Ram sort of intrigues you and that you are still like growing and learning as an athlete. So I just like, even if there's nothing next, like what's capturing your imagination at this point? Yeah. Ram has definitely captured my imagination. Unfortunately, if I was put to put together a Ram team, two of the people that I'd want on my Ram team are part of my team right now. And that's my strength coach, Kate Ligler, and my coach, Julie Dibbins. <laughs> <laughs> they were both on my crew at Ultraman. So if we were to do Ram, we'd have to, we'd have to break in an entirely new crew. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and crewing is literally, it's way harder than doing the race itself. friend it's of mine so, does it. I, it looks so hard. I can't yeah, even. It's, it's very, very demanding. And so... You know, I'd love to do Ram. It's also like Ultraman. It's frightfully expensive. Um, so it's a project that I have in the back of my mind. But for this year, I honestly, I gave a lot of thought to the fact that after Ultraman, if I won and things went my way, that I might just drop the mic and say, peace out. This has been an awesome career and I'm going out on top as, <clears throat> as a world champion. But during all of those hours of sort of solo training and preparation for Ultraman, I started thinking a little bit about, well, what what is there left to chase? As I said, I'm not going to win Kona. Um, I'm probably not going to win another Ironman in my career. What, what still gets you fired up that makes you sort of lift an eyebrow and say, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And I have long wanted sort of one more swing at Kona, not because I think I'm going to win it and not because I think I'm going to be in the top 10, but because I'm 52 years old and I'm curious to see if I could even qualify for the darn thing. So my coach, Julie Dibbins, has brought on, um, I just call him science guy, um, but he's helping us um, be a little bit more specific. And like I said, be a little bit smarter in our training. Julie does everything right. I I have never, when I have faltered in my career, it's because mistakes I've made. Julie always gets me to a starting line prepared. Um, and I have the utmost confidence in her. And so the, this edition of Science Guy, I think is just going to make that a little bit better. And I, it made me sort of go, hmm, let's just give this another swing and see if we can't get a qualifying slot because at 52 years old, that would, no one's ever done it. And, and that would fire me up just to get a chance to, to toe the line with women who are half my age and to be able to say, look at what is possible. Um, and it may not be possible, but that's what makes it a goal, right? If, if, if I knew hundred percent that it was possible, it's just a thing I'm going to do instead of a goal. So I kind of set that goal and we decided it was worth the investment and, um, we'll see if it pans out. That's really exciting. And I, and I know that you're not going to say a whole lot about what science guy is looking at, but like, what, what can you or will you say about what science guy is looking at? I know we don't want to like open up the secret box so much, but he's just making us accountable for the work that we're doing and making sure that it's that it's precise and specific. And we're learning a lot in the process. I mean, I've it's only been, it's been three weeks, and I've already learned a lot. And I just can't imagine how much more I have to learn. So there's that benefit too, is that whether if it doesn't work out, I've also learned a tremendous amount in the journey. And that's to me, 
that's 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 the good stuff, right? Like I'll be better for it. So whether or not it happens, it may not happen. Quite frankly, I I don't know that it will. I mean, the level of women's racing is incredible. So I don't know if it's possible, but it's worth it's worth a shot. And the worst thing that happens is that I'm smarter for it. It's not a bad trade off. Yeah, it's okay. It's worth it for me. Is there is there anything that um, we have not talked about that you thought would be a good message for for this audience who are all aspirational and chasing things, you know, and still want to be making gains and being their best selves? Yeah, like I said this at, at Ultraman um, at awards that night. Every athlete, it's a pretty cool thing about Ultraman. Every athlete's given three minutes, whether they are an official finisher or not. Everyone gets the mic for three minutes. That's cool. They're strict. They're strict about the three minutes, by the way. So. If you're in the middle of a sentence and you get to three minutes, they literally pull the mic out of your hand. Um, but my message to that crew, you know, I'm 52 years old. I've been an athlete for 48 of those 52 years. I was a swimmer and then I was a professional triathlete. And at 52 years old, I finally get to say that I'm a world champion. So I think it's important to not put a timeline on your goals and dreams um, you can still achieve them. It might just take longer than you thought, but if, if the will is there, there's absolutely a way to get it, but there shouldn't be a timeline or a deadline or an expiration date. If I put an expiration date on my goals, I never would have achieved them because people told me 10 years ago, I should quit and retire. Um, I just refused to listen and saw a reason to keep going. And now I finally get to say at 52, I'm a world champion. And that's, that's something. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with the amazing and dynamic Juliet Starrett. Juliet is CEO of The Ready State, which she co-founded with her husband, Dr. Kelly Starrett, who is a pioneer in science and the practice of mobility and is still the only man I have had on the show. She and Kelly have a new book out called Built to Move, the 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. This was an amazing conversation. We talk about hippo attacks and much more. I really loved it. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty.